Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today, our topic is sustainable disruption. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and develop strategies and transform themselves and their organizations into industry leaders. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted that returning guests today are Terry Benninger and Greg Moran. Terry is a passionate and principle-driven leader who thrives on challenge. Strengths include effectively creating and leading high-performing teams, consistently achieving business-driven success through collaboration and continuously advancing innovation and adoption. Terry has been a CIO and senior technology leader in large publicly traded banks and also a government organization. She currently serves on several boards, one being a for-profit financial institution. Terry is currently the deputy director and CIO for the Ohio Department on Aging. Greg Moran is a C-level digital strategy and change leadership executive with extensive global operations experience. He led corporate strategy for Ford and designed the plan that Alan Malale used to turn around the company. Greg held C-level IT positions in AppDev, infrastructure, and core banking applications at Ford, Nationwide Insurance, and Bank One, J.P. Morgan Chase, respectively. He began his career consulting with Arthur Anderson Accenture, working across industries with Fortune 100 companies over the course of a decade. He is passionate about leadership and culture and teaches part-time on the topic at Ohio University. Greg serves on the Kios board focusing on medical technology. So today we're going to be talking about disruption, as the topic says, sustainable disruption. So we hear about disruption all the time, and pretty much any article you read starts with, we're in the midst of disruption. But the questions are, for many of us, what does it really mean for me, and what can I do? During this show, we'll explore disruption, what factors allow an organization to create sustainable disruption, and how companies and leaders can create organizations that are truly disruptive. So let's start with the premise. Disruption is hard, but it's easier for you to take shortcuts and defy physics, and then it fails, or someone else out-executes you and wins with your ideas. So first of all, thanks for having me. I'm really uh, happy to be here. The, the premise that, uh, that we're starting with here is one that's very interesting to me. I now, my day job is working for a startup called Aware. And in the startup world, disruption, mm-hmm. you know, everybody talks about disruption. Everybody's got a disruptive business model. And we've just had this amazing opportunity to get a front row seat recently to a great case of where disruption really was defying the laws of physics. And that's with WeWork. So we're mm. watching WeWork just disassemble in front of our eyes. And the underlying premise of WeWork was, ultimately flawed from a business model standpoint. Mm. You had long-term financial obligations and a short-term revenue model that were completely mismatched. So for our listeners who may not know what WeWork is, can you give just a quick background? Yeah, so the concept of WeWork was to invent this category called space as a service. And the idea was that WeWork was going to you know, lease these buildings in desirable locations and then subdivide those into effectively co-working spaces that small companies and startups could use mm-hmm. and ultimately then provide a set of community services to them, everything from infrastructure 
infrastructure like Wi-Fi to, you know, food, mm-hmm. coffee, beer taps, and have people that kind of make it all work, and then create a sense of community between all these little small companies and people who do work together. And mm-hmm. so I think they were truly disruptive in terms of the concept of community-based co-working. What they didn't pay attention to was the underlying business model by which they would ultimately try and make money. And that's where the problem came in. So they took on $47 billion in long-term lease, I think it was $43 billion actually, in long-term lease obligations. But they have a revenue model that can disappear in three months because it's all short-term service contracts with these tiny little companies. And Mm -hmm. so you can imagine in a recession, your revenue model can evaporate very rapidly Mm -hmm. and you still have all your lease obligations and no way to meet them. And as they went to go to IPO this year, targeting $47 billion for their IPO, right? What happened in the markets, which should happen in the markets, happened, Mm -hmm. which is everybody started to scrutinize their business model. And people figured out, oh, my goodness, this is a house of cards. Mm -hmm. And so... It's not uh, sustainable. Exactly. (laughs) And so the the IPO evaporated. As of this Mm -hmm. morning, the company was valued at $8 And the founder and former CEO, Adam Newman, has been forced out of not only the job, but now the company with $1.7 billion to console him in his pain. But it's a classic case of unsustainable disruption. So you talk about sustainable disruption being a process and discipline and that key ingredients protect an idea from failure and ensure its success. So can you say more about the process of disruption? So to me, the process of disruption and what I'm learning in the job that I have now Mm -hmm. is that you really do have to be a learner to disrupt effectively Mm -hmm. because you're not going to get it right the first time. You're not going to understand all the nuances. And so iteration becomes your friend. And then a Mm -hmm. discipline around how you do that is your friend. So if you look in consumer companies like that have been very, very successful, like Facebook or, uh, you know, Microsoft on the consumer side, as Mm -hmm. well as on the enterprise side uh, and other, uh, and then on the B2B side, you see big successful companies like Amazon and their, web services business, Mm -hmm. those are not companies that sort of got it right the first time. Those are companies that have a Mm -hmm. discipline of reinventing each little, even at a very elemental level, the things that they do that create a customer experience, right? And so when I say a discipline and a process, it's about recognizing that nothing's sacred and as soon as you get customer feedback, you're going to react to that feedback in a meaningful way with Mm -hmm. a disciplined process to get better. And so, oh, so go ahead. No, I I agree with Greg, and I, I'd like to add a facet to that um, that I think is complementary, but a little bit different. In that, I think um, when I say disruption, right? For me, it's about again changing the value propositions, right? For whether it's individuals, teams, companies, right? Uh, states, whatever, nation states, right? So it's mm-hmm. about the value proposition, and I think that. When, Greg, you talk about discipline processes to sustain, I think often sometimes involved in that discipline process is the passion and conviction of the mission. And I I don't think that can be overlooked. I think um, some of the greatest uh, successes of disruption probably rode quite a bit on that passion, the passion that's spurns continuous learning, it spurns persistence, it spurns perfection, right, sometimes Mm -hmm. to a fault. And so I think um, part of successful disruption has to include that passion, which is the driver of some of those things. And then secondly, I couldn't emphasize enough, you know, well, I'll say disruption is, is again, that, you know, realignment of value propositions. Digital disruption for me is just an accelerant. Right okay. of the same thing. When you talk about digital disruption, it is an exponential accelerant of that shift in the value proposition. Mm-hmm. And so I think the the passion right sustains uh, or accommodates the pace. Right. So if you have disciplined processes and structured without the passion on the mission mm-hmm. and the passion on the purpose um, that again spawns innovation and creativity that could implode, right, because of the pace when you add that digital disruption. Um, And so I think as leaders, as individual leaders, as corporate leaders, as enterprise leaders, as organizational leaders, are you passionate? Are you passionate about the mission that you're doing to create, right, 
the value statements that are forward-facing value statements? I mean, I would raise you one and say, <laughs> Meet you. And say that the passion mm-hmm. is essential. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Having lived this, it's too hard. If you're not passionate, mm-hmm. you won't do the work. Yep. It's too hard, right? And one thing yep. you could say about Adam Newman is he was very passionate and very convincing. Sure. But he was mm-hmm. wrong. That's right. <laughs> right. Well, details. Passionate and <laughs> right. Good thinker still equals. Right. So I couldn't agree right. more on the passion. And, and I do agree that, that, that digital isn't a category unto itself. Yeah. Yeah. Digital is a means to an end, and it's mm-hmm. increasingly a means to an end. But it doesn't stand alone. It has right. to sit inside of something that's doing something for the world right. in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And a good business model. Yes. To, to your point of not being wrong. Right. Well, that's the value statement. There has to be. We go back to WeWorks, right? There has to be a value statement uh, and a clear, obvious, recognized, demonstrated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then with that, the true accelerant is that passion and imagination and vision and purpose and persistence. That's the other thing is I think part of the sustainability is that persistence. And it's hard to sustain that if you don't have a really just, I mean, true cellular level passion for what mm-hmm. you do. It's the key enabler. Well, and then I'm I'm on the system and structure side. You need <laughs> those yep. infuse a culture of disruption and speed and sustainability and rigor around constantly changing and quickly and systems and processes that enable that to happen rather than getting in the way. Right. So it's probably easier, mm-hmm. Greg, for you as a startup than it is for uh, pick large company nationwide insurance or um, any number of large organizations that are trying to undo a culture that got them to where they are. Yeah, I agree. I think Amazon is a great example. If you visit Amazon, Amazon's in a low margin business. You know, mm-hmm. when you set aside their hosting business for mm-hmm. a second. When you look at their core retail. retail business, it's a very low margin business. And so they've built a set of disciplines that remain to this day essential inside the company that give them that agility. The concept of the two pizza team. They won't let any team be bigger than can be fed by two pizzas. It's literally <laughs> in their corporate principles. Sure. Wow. Every conference room table inside of Amazon's headquarters is in fact a door because their very first conference mm-hmm. table was a door, a door. on sawhorses. On saw mm-hmm. And so even though they actually pay now more for the for the, 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 for the <laughs> right. fake doors, <laughs> right. the, you know, the iconography of mm-hmm. having that door to mm-hmm. remind everybody like where they came from. Mm-hmm. And it just permeates their culture. They're constantly trying to reinvent everything that touches the customer in that world. And there may be three teams working on the exact same piece of code at the same mm-hmm. time, believing sure. they have a better idea for how to interact with the consumer and so I do think to your point the structures can be there and they do get harder to hang on to but if you're passionate mm-hmm. about what you got you to the place that you've been successful mm-hmm. you can then I think institutionalize mm-hmm. in some helpful and scalable ways mm-hmm. even in the case of Amazon that ability to be agile well and that's kind of what I was trying to speak to is <laughs> it has to be institutionalized otherwise we fall back into habit so I'll add to your point, totally agree on the institutionalized right processes and structure that, in my mind, must demonstrate the value statement, right? So go back to what is disruption, right? It's a realignment of value statement and passion around the mission of that value statement. So your institutionalized processes have to demonstrate, reinforce, constantly mm-hmm. define and redefine that value statement to keep everybody aligned to that mission. And so I think this is where... I'm a, a both a right and a left brain person, and I am all about the structure and the discipline and the passion and, and imagination, right, and mm-hmm. ingenuity that comes from having those structured processes, mm-hmm. good data analytics, clear alignment, or with all due respect, perfect disalignment, right? It can be equally as impactful in messaging, but clear alignment or disalignment with the value statement. And all those together, I think, is is part, again, what creates that sustainability of a disruption. And mm-hmm. I don't want to say sustainability because I think it's a continuum. Mm-hmm. It reinvents mm-hmm. the next disruptive yeah. cycle. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd, maybe a really important distinction in the word sustainable is sustainable is not comfortable. 
Right. That is not what we're saying at all. Right. There's this concept of like sustainable, then it's steady state. That's not at all what we're talking about. No. What we're talking about is something that's very mm-hmm. uncomfortable. And all it's the time. Sustainably right. uncomfortable, <laughs> but right. sustainably productive. Right. Mm-hmm. At recreating the next mm-hmm. set of value propositions for yes. whoever you're trying to serve. Well, and for me, one of the pieces of sustainability is we do it at a pace where people don't burn out and exit. And part of that's driven by passion and part of it's driven by choice. But if the business is to be able to continue to disrupt itself, it needs to do so in right. a way that allows people to stay engaged and healthy. And I'm back to my Amazon example. I think they provably have struggled with mm-hmm. that at times, right? That's a great example of where they pressurize the mm-hmm. system so much mm-hmm. that it begins to be, A, unsustainable for the people that work there. Mm-hmm. B, it unevenly, right, mm-hmm. attracts certain audiences into that group. And so it ends up actually mm-hmm. creating inequities in the workforce that are very visible at Amazon because certain characteristics that somebody Mm -hmm. might have at a given point in their life, like say being pregnant, become incompatible with the pressurized system in which they're Mm -hmm. operating and the system doesn't forgive you for that. Mm -hmm. And I think Amazon has done a lot to start addressing those issues Mm -hmm. over the past few years, but I think the New York Times expose a few years ago was Mm -hmm. very telling Mm -hmm. and they've done a lot of work since then, but it showed how even with the best of intentions, you can pressurize a disruptive system mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. that you get these unintended consequences that are, you know, significant. Elon Musk is probably another one that creates pressurized systems. And I assume that people know when they go to work for someone like Tesla or Amazon what they're walking into. I don't know. We I mean, I think, we... yeah, like how much this is going to sound ageist, but how much can you really know when it's your first job or even mm-hmm. maybe your second job, mm-hmm. right? Because you haven't mm-hmm. experienced that. So I, I have to assume that some people go in and have an accurate picture mm-hmm. and some people don't. And mm-hmm. you see that in the turnover numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had it at Accenture. You worked yeah. a lot of hours. There, yeah. there wasn't an... 40-hour week with no travel. That was called vacation. Yes. I think sometimes a disconnect with that workforce is that folks sometimes walk in with an expectation and intent to disrupt for the wrong reasons, right? To make a difference, to make changes, just right it's a buzzword it's Mm. a buzzword Mm -hmm. bingo and they've put it on their resume five times and um, it's a disruptive company and a disruptive industry and I'm a disruptive right and I think there's Mm -hmm. some disconnects there kind of back to understanding the value statement and being passionate about the mission sometimes is much more important and I think sometimes there's a misalignment right in matching people to that I think it's it's easy to forget that there are some companies who have been sustainably disruptive for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And it is worth understanding elements of their model and how they operate that can give you insight into this. So to your point exactly, mm-hmm. you made as you were talking, I began to think about Toyota and the fact mm-hmm. that Toyota has been sustainably mm-hmm. the best car company in the world for a very, very long mm-hmm. time. And it's not because they haven't been disruptive, it's because they've been specifically disruptive, but they also understand that operating inside of the Toyota way gives mm-hmm. them access to disruption in ways that other companies that mm-hmm. every time a new leader comes in and goes, forget right. all that, we're going to do it an mm-hmm. all new, different way. Right. Yeah. You watch the language of how mm-hmm. when somebody takes over as CEO of Toyota, mm-hmm. how they talk about the Toyota way. They don't talk about throwing it out. Mm-hmm. They talk with huge humility about taking mm-hmm. on the mantle of being the steward of the way and wanting to make sure that they preserve and carefully improve it, right? So the Toyota way is bigger mm-hmm. than everybody in Toyota, right? Right. And right. It's because, and I'm, I'm again going to say that because they're, the Toyota way is not disruption for disruption's sake, right? The Toyota Way is very focused on value statements and all of their operational processes are aligned to ensuring clarity, alignment, right? Persistent focus and mm-hmm. passion on the mission statement. I think again, you know, the buzzword bingo of disruption and all the attributes around it, sometimes you you can lose sight of, you know, the underlying 
purpose, right? The underlying purpose is to continuously re value, right? Re realign your products, your services to the, to the value statements, right? Which are constantly changing mm-hmm. by the customers in the consumer market. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever their value statement is today, I can guarantee you my 24-year-old <laughs> son does not share the same value statements, right, as 14-year-olds do today. And so as your parents do. As my parents exactly. Yeah, nobody ever successfully disrupted a company with an innovation department. It's one right. of, it's <laughs> the most ridiculous thing. And yet company mm-hmm. after company does it. And they do it for their own reasons. And it rarely has mm-hmm. anything to do with disruption. Mm-hmm. It almost always has to do with optics or giving somebody a job that looks like it's important. You know, there's mm-hmm. all kinds of motives for it. But it never results in disruption because it's sitting outside of the core business model or models of the company. Company, right, and trying mm-hmm. to operate on them instead of in them, and it doesn't work. So the old skunk works idea is then <laughs> not helpful. I think a skunk works is something different than an innovation department. Mm. Oh, got it. Okay. A skunk works is usually put in place to actually develop a product. Okay, and some method, con- really a re- method, a method and or a product, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So you know when you look at the original, you know, uh, instantiation, yeah. yeah, that was a Lockheed Martin thing, and mm-hmm. they used the skunk works to develop very important mm-hmm. airplanes like the SR seventy mm-hmm. one. The reason they did that is a secrecy and b because there were some aspects of that aircraft that they didn't think they could build if they did it in the traditional way. You know, the Ford Taurus in the mid-80s that was one of the most successful car launches Mm -hmm. in history Mm -hmm. was done with this team that was off to the side because Mm -hmm. they needed Mm -hmm. to create integration that their normal Mm -hmm. processes and methods couldn't. Right, So they're trying to do something either process-wise or product. Apple, you know, the Macintosh was Mm -hmm. another Skunk Works product, but that's because they had a very specific objective and it was a cross-disciplinary team that was set off on the side to create a product, right? To me, it's when you say I'm going to have an innovation department <laughs> that is going right. to then be innovative right, in and, or help structure. the other parts right. of the company be innovative with none right. of the accountability that a P&L leader has for an outcome. And right. so you okay. end up pitting yourself against yourself. Okay. Got it. So one last question in this segment. Big D diversity and an open culture where all ideas count and flow freely, while not technically required, will certainly accelerate innovation and reduce risk materially. So both of you, I think, are, as am I, big advocates of diversity. Can you say a little bit more about both the idea of diversity and open cultures? Yeah, so, you know, what struck me when I when I was thinking about this particular topic is that you can't make the argument that there are not very successful disruptive companies that were clearly non-diverse. If you look at mm-hmm. modern tech, it's ridiculously non-diverse. It's an embarrassment. It's maybe the least diverse industry that's ever been created. And it has had some great success, right? So we have mm-hmm. to look at that and say, is there something mm-hmm. that we can unpack there? One does wonder, though, when when you look at that and you've had the experience of, of successful uh, disruption that has a team that is diverse, and you do have a culture that actually encourages the free flow of ideas, how much faster could they have been Mm -hmm. successful? How much more successful could they have been, right? And I think Mm -hmm. there is a very, very strong empirical argument that says that industry could benefit substantially from increases in big D diversity, Mm -hmm. which to me gets to not just numbers, but culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Two sides of that. I think the inclusivity rate is invaluable. Statistically speaking, right, a number of studies clearly show inclusive rate increases net profits, increases. um, So so I think from a business case, it's, it's an imperative. But I also think, Greg, to your point, that historical prevalence of homogenous, you know, teams within IT will, is now, and will continue to become Become punitive and a detriment. In the past, I don't believe it was as much of a of a an awareness point as it is in today's you know society and will continue to become. And so, I think companies who don't embrace diversity, teams who don't demonstrate inclusivity, there'll be a penalty factor as we move forward. 
So I read a statistic that was just released, actually not yet released, about uh, it was 1,800 people talking about leadership. Mm -hmm. And what they said was only 34% of participants would follow a leader from a different opposing political party. We've now gotten to a place where... Wow, the divisiveness. Yeah, people won't follow leaders of... Half Mm -hmm. will follow a a leader of a different sexual orientation Mm -hmm. or race, a little over half, or Mm -hmm. gender. Sure. So we're still at 56% of the population will follow a leader of a different gender. That's transformed. I mean, you think 20, 50, 70 years ago, 100 years ago, right? You can displace the labels that you're using now with, you know, religion, you know, religious um, affiliations or ethnic affiliations, right? Italians or Irish or whatever it might be. And I think this is a reflection of 2019. It just the idea that if we want diversity of ideas, (laughs) we need to allow people with different ideas, uh, which... Sure. At its basic level, different political ideas would reflect different ideas. How can we possibly get true innovation if everyone mm-hmm. in the room thinks the same way? Well, we won't, but it doesn't mean you won't get any, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I do think there are clearly cases where mm-hmm. you have seen disruption that does not include diversity of thought or of characteristics, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. they may be. I think that being said, to your point, it's very important that we begin to shift this dialogue. Like, we cannot, it's the old Einstein quote, you can't solve mm-hmm. the problem on the same level at which it was created. So you mm-hmm. can't fight hate right, by it. hating the people that you think are doing the hating, because mm-hmm. all you right. get now is a net increase in hate. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And a net increase in in divisiveness. Right. And so at some point, I think we have to move beyond uh, those those characteristics of of human interaction and begin to embrace the big D diversity (laughs) concept of I always start with the premise. I've got something to learn from you, which is where transformational leadership comes in. Thank you for this segment. We're going to wrap it up on the idea of transformational leadership and diversity and how important Mm. that diversity of thought and characteristics are to accelerate innovation. We will be right back with Terry Bettinger and Greg Moran talking about sustaining diversity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Every day in business, we hear jargon, see writing from so-called experts, and don't know what we should follow and what we should avoid. Now, there's a program to sort everything out. The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman is the program that provides actual best practices, insights, and real-world solutions that help business executives, technology executives, managers, and staff using straightforward talk. Listen live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. 
Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday on Voice America Business. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Today, our topic is sustainable disruption. This topic is just so perfectly aligned as we think about how do we co-create together (laughs) the future we want to see. We live at a point in history where there is more disruption and more Mm -hmm. opportunity than ever in human history. That we are truly, in in some ways, not every Mm -hmm. way, have access to global resources. We just had the Nobel Prize winners announced in the last week or so. Mm -hmm. And both the breadth of looking at what's happening in space and what's happening in the subatomic particles, Mm -hmm. all at the same time by scientists from around the world. The idea of disruption seems like a natural one, and yet we as humans have the autoimmune response in some ways Mm -hmm. to reject things that are uncomfortable Mm -hmm. or feel unsafe. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like the invitation is in part, how do we as transformational leaders help people move beyond that autoimmune response, beyond the way my brain is programmed Mm -hmm. to keep me alive? And if Mm -hmm. you bring something up that has bitten me in the past, Mm -hmm. I will continue to resist physiologically. I may not Mm -hmm. even be conscious that I'm resisting, Mm -hmm. but I start sweating. And, (laughs) you know, I start... Stress. (laughs) My blood pressure may go up. I, I exhibit physiological responses, and then my brain kicks in and starts resisting Mm -hmm. unconsciously. So the challenge we have as leaders to make disruption safe, Mm -hmm. to bring people together who are uncomfortable with Mm -hmm. change, who are uncomfortable with diversity, who are uncomfortable with new ideas, because Mm -hmm. if the business changes, where will I fit? How will I support my family? Mm -hmm. Who will I be if this is my primary identity? Who am I and what do I bring to the world? Mm -hmm. So in that context, let's just have an open conversation (laughs) about how do we help people as leaders engage in and thrive in a world that is changing very quickly that we can solve some of the problems that our ancestors never imagined, and yet mm-hmm. we're going to create more problems, mm-hmm. just by definition. Mm-hmm. But the more consciously we solve them, the fewer mm-hmm. unintended and dire consequences we create. So I have several thoughts on this, but I'm going to share the same premise. We just talked about you know digital disruption, multiple industries and organizational approaches to either sustain it or in some cases, right, implode. And I think some of the same concepts apply to the human disruption, right, that is going on as well, right? You just mentioned all the attributes of physiological disruption that you mm. feel. And and I think in my mind, it's it's the same thing about value statements, right? So that human value statement that has built up through a culture, right, built sometimes started from your parents, mm-hmm. right, and their, their value systems that they've embedded or or institutional you know systems that have embedded the value statements of of each of us around safety job security what does success mean how is it defined right mm-hmm. and i think that the same disruption that we talk about you know in a bigger sense as leaders we have to 
transform our leadership style to include the human disruption, right? I.e., mm-hmm. focusing the institutional process and practices on the on the value statements, the value statements of that human and that workforce, making sure they know that the value statements have have been displaced. Forty years ago, right? There was a value statement in the workforce that was defined by tenure that was defined by higher education, that was defined by, right? Hierarchy. Hierarchy. There's all these definitions. And now it's 2019. So as leaders, right, what is our message of value statement, right, within our workforce and within our teams to make sure they are aligning to the new displaced, right, new defined mm-hmm. value statements of the workforce. Agility, inclusivity, right, all mm-hmm. these things that, you know, continuous learning, you know, I would suggest those are new attributes, new value statements that mm-hmm. as leaders, we have to align, make it clear, right, message, vision, training, alignment, mm-hmm. reward structures around those new value statements. And then help the precious human beings Mm -hmm. who show up to work every day to do their job, Mm -hmm. to make our organization successful, to support their families, help them move from what feels safe Mm -hmm. to this new... Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit. So I I, I agree very much with what we've been talking about here, which is you have to take your value statements and you have to make them very, very explicit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you have to discipline yourself to holding the standard mm-hmm. consistent mm-hmm. over time, which by the way is very, very hard. Hard to do. It yes. is really hard because you will yeah. find that leaders will compromise on that if somebody's very productive or very smart mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it yep. begins to erode because people <laughs> right. actually mm-hmm. see what you do and right. I've lived that multiple times. Mm-hmm. To your point about the people, what I have often done is really try to go a level below what somebody does or knows and really appeal to what made them successful in the first place. Mm-hmm. So when we're, you know, it, it just using an IT example, when you're swapping out a technology that you've got a team of 200 mm-hmm. people that have built their career on, mm-hmm. and they're very afraid because they mm-hmm. view themselves as valuable. because them. That's right. They're valuable mm-hmm. because of their expertise mm-hmm. yep. in that thing, right? What I like to do is remind that group of people, those Mm -hmm. individuals, that what made you an expert Mm -hmm. in that technology is your ability to learn Mm -hmm. and your passion for technology and your desire to help make the company more Mm -hmm. effective and serve its customers better. That's right. Have you lost any of that? Right. Align them to the true value statement, not something Mm -hmm. the culture around them may have labeled or put on them, but really and verbally. And Greg, I agree with your point. As a leader, sometimes you can feel a bit hypocritical, right? And we're all human. We're all imperfect humans. Mm -hmm. And so I think a big part of it is being very clear about um, the mission, the purpose, the expectations, right? And permissioning, make sure you're permissioning people to be an engaged, right, participant with you. If I am not aligned, right, we we should absolutely be having conversations if the leadership team um, open conversations around our organizational alignment to those same values and mission statements. And that's where the clarity is so important, because mm-hmm. ultimately what you want people doing is opting in to a set of values right. that you've been very explicit right. about mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. opting out, which is yeah. also mm-hmm. fine. We'll help you be successful somewhere that right. better matches you, and mm-hmm. we, mm-hmm. you know, and we. Right. Uh, I, I think if we do a good job, that's a mm-hmm. completely fair thing to do. Sure, and then give people the chance once you've appealed to what mm-hmm. made them successful in the first yeah. place. Right. Yeah. To decide whether or not they want to use those same competencies, the underlying competencies, mm-hmm. not the thing you know or the right. thing you do, but your underlying competencies to be successful on a new platform or a new mm-hmm. capability or a new mm-hmm. process or in a new role, whatever it might be. And, and I think that's a way that you can really cut through the normal organizational typecasting that Terry was talking about that says, well, you are the label of whatever mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. that you are currently doing. Right. Yeah, I love the idea, and and one of the things we're talking about is practical solutions, the idea that we appeal to what got you here. Not the Mm -hmm. what got you here won't get you there, but what got Mm -hmm. you here that's brilliant, keep doing that thing, Mm -hmm. because some of that is your superpower. And that ability to navigate change, to implement mm-hmm. a system. If you did that 10 years ago and you navigated through it, chances are you are gifted at that 
and we'll mm-hmm. do it again. And now again. you're no. experienced We're, and wiser. Yeah, and right. you might do it way better. I'm better. <laughs> and, and with the pace, right, of change, you mm-hmm. probably might need to do it again next year and the year after, <laughs> right? And so I, I think, Greg, what you just said, from a, you know, within technology, we're in huge workforce deficiencies. Yet again, the demand for that constant innovation is there. And mm-hmm. I think one of the absolute critical things we have to do is not only help our workforce, right, to continually adapt and renew themselves to those core value statements, not to a system or a product, but also the leadership teams, right? So we have, I think right now is a time where the leadership teams are as diverse as I've ever seen it, from a from an age and experience, mm-hmm. from an expectations, and so again at our level, we are now managing you know managers and leaders with tremendous diversity to their their background. So I think the challenge again is is back to those value statements, mm-hmm. n- not to the labels and not to the stereotypes, right? So. While we have great disruption and great innovation and great opportunity for global access to global information and education, and we have mm-hmm. we also have great division, great division. And I think again, as leaders, we have to embrace verbally, visually, actively embrace diversity, diversity of ideas, diversity of age, diversity of experiences, mm-hmm. and ensure that people have a voice at the table and that their value statement, is clear to all that's as leaders one of the things again you have to coach people you know diversity and inclusion are logical and and they're common topics in in you know every it forum and in execution it's hard i think oftentimes you find uh, i find that people don't want to take on the challenge of admitting that we're not where we need to be Specifically, mm-hmm. it's super easy to talk about mm-hmm. it at a generic level. Sure. Like, yeah, we, you know, we're all about diversity and inclusion, but how often do leaders actually stand up in front of their mm-hmm. own teams and mm-hmm. say, "Let me give you five examples, mm-hmm. and let me talk about why that's not good enough for our values mm-hmm. that I just mm-hmm. shared with you, and I will yeah. share with you relentlessly, mm-hmm. right? right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're going to keep coming back to them. And every mm-hmm. time we find ourselves falling short of the standard of our values that mm-hmm. we've agreed to together, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. we're going to admit that that happened, and we're going to hit mm-hmm. it head on, right, mm-hmm. and, and, and really confront. Because mm-hmm. it's, those, it's those actual examples, those real opportunities mm-hmm. for people to see the gaps that are so instructive. Sure. When we're talking generically about, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't want to, right. you know, I don't want to mm-hmm. talk with that person because they don't believe the way I do, mm-hmm. right? That needs to be called out. And we need to say, mm-hmm. no, right. that's not what diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion says. Diversity and inclusion says when you see somebody acting or believing something that you don't understand, your first instinct Seek. should be to run towards it. Seek sure. to understand. Right. Seek to understand. And what can yeah. I learn from that? Right. Yeah. Not, not, and what am I yeah. not seeing that yeah. they're seeing? Because mm-hmm. I know them yeah. to be a rational person. Right. And they're concluding and, something different than me. And Greg, I'm going to go even a more fundamental level. I think as leaders, it sometimes gets lost. But what is diversity? Right? I think it is it's it's almost like, you know, disruption where the word is used so much it can become watered down and people mm-hmm. are not aligned to the same, you know, definition. Mm-hmm. And I constantly tell people, right, that diversity is again, anybody who doesn't think, act, look, or sound like you is diverse. That's diverse from you. And welcome, right? Back to your point of ensuring that we are and I want to be careful, not just I want to, I'm a pretty strong-willed person, right? I I am a person of action. Go figure. Um, But not just open it up and not just say, these are our values and principles, but you have to purposefully and adamantly and vehemently and persistently demand, demand, right, diversity and inclusion from the organization that you lead. And it has to be specific. It has to be specific. You you can't say that generically. 
You I, have to mm-hmm. explain what it means mm-hmm. and then right. illustrate those gaps because people have blind spots. Yes. I work with an engineering company and it's hard to find mm-hmm. diverse engineers, mm-hmm. women, mm-hmm. Uh, people of color, sure. uh, fill in the blanks. And the owner has been banging the drum of diversity for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he finally stood up in a meeting and said, no bonuses this year until you meet these goals. Incentive. Demand it. Incentive. Uh, totally agree. And suddenly. But then, sure. but then give people the tools. Yeah. Give people the yeah, tools. Sure. But ultimately, yes, you do have to demand it. And then you have to be very specific. I remember sure. standing up in front of one of the organizations had a team of about 2,000 people mm-hmm. and I'm talking to the managers. I had about 130 people in the room, the senior leaders of the organization mm-hmm. and I did a literally a 45-minute riff on diversity and used specific examples about what equally engaging means. looks like. What to, yes. right? mm-hmm. Specifically. Yes. That means that right. your Thursday night poker club is mm-hmm. not equally engaging. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and, and I know <laughs> I can I've look at you. There. I can, <laughs> no, I haven't been there but I can look you right. in the eye and I know who has one. And who hasn't. That's right. right. And who's I know there, who's, who's got the there. golf club. Yes. And I know, mm-hmm. you know, yes. and it's like and the you. And the manicure club. That's right. right. And you have to do better. Anytime mm-hmm. that our concept for engaging each mm-hmm. other involves us not engaging with each other, mm-hmm. we're probably mm-hmm. not where we need to be. <laughs> And, and totally agree. And I, I, you know, I have some conversations, again, my peer group, I, I hear folks who say, oh, my gosh, you know, I would love nothing more than, you know, to be able to have some diversity on my team. But, but we just don't have any good candidates, right? And, and so <laughs> we're all I, shaking our heads. I'm just, this is where uh, I think transformational leadership uh-huh. requires. And so I start with me. I can I can judge others as much as I mm-hmm. want, right? And my inner voice, but I start with me, and I I am all about you know helping. And Maureen, you and I have had these conversations. I will help and enable and connect you with as many people, communities, affiliations as you need to be connected with, so you do have diverse candidates mm-hmm. because. That will no longer be a viable excuse, right? And then it's mm-hmm. what's next. Well, what's I think our next? standard's wrong as well. I will say mm-hmm. back to my point about competencies versus what you know and what mm-hmm. you do. Mm-hmm. So often in large companies in particular, you have mm-hmm. this posting process mm-hmm. that massively over indexes mm-hmm. on specific experience and mm-hmm. massively under indexes yep. on the underlying competencies that make somebody successful in a role. That's mm-hmm. right. And when you reverse that equation, it's amazing how diverse you know your mm-hmm. set of candidates can be. But it's realigning the value statements Absolutely. of those Processes with and the culture. That's right, with the needs of today, and not in you know embedding ourselves on twenty-year-old legacy job descriptions, right? That net you know the same homogenous results that we've had. So as we're wrapping up, let's give some very practical <laughs> examples of what can we do. What can our listeners do to help recommend disruptive practices and move them forward, sustain the momentum? Yeah, so I'll start by saying uh, this this concept of disruption from a from a passion standpoint, and mm-hmm. then from a process and discipline standpoint. Mm-hmm. So recognize that you really do have to believe in the thing you're doing because it's mm-hmm. too hard, and you won't sustain mm-hmm. it if you don't have that passion. And then wrap in it the disciplines to ensure that what you're doing is always in pursuit of the goal. And we could Mm -hmm. talk for a long time about examples (laughs) of where that doesn't happen, but WeWork has plenty of them. So anybody, Mm -hmm. any of your listeners can look those up and figure out that maybe some of the side businesses and the pot retreats that Adam Newman was running (laughs) were not in pursuit of the goal, right? And then the second piece is what we've been talking about for the last few minutes, which is this concept of can you be explicit on less than one page about what your values are and have you been able to articulate that and have you adapted your processes to ensure that they're likely to accommodate the outcomes that those values imply like looking for competency not experience so that you get a slate Mm -hmm. of candidates that actually have those competencies Mm -hmm. that you will amazingly find are now way more diverse slates of candidates Mm -hmm. totally agree with everything and i'm going to add a very self awareness self assessment so mm-hmm. you can read you can google any of the buzzwords that we've talked about here and find thousands of articles to read right and examples of healthy disruption failed disruption but i think 
practical is self-assessment. Are you yourself a transformational thinker, right? When I say leader, it could be a thought leader. It could be a team leader, an organizational leader, community leader. Are you a transformational leader? And I think that requires not only a lot of self-assessment, right, but seek seek right mm-hmm. people in the, you know in the community who are transformational leaders mm-hmm. have a conversation with them are do you think like them are you leveraging some of their you know skills and experiences because if you're not that's an opportunity you can't lead value realignment and digital transformation if you yourself are not a transformational leader and that is not an intellectual endeavor mm-hmm. it is far more than again googling all of the topics we've talked about it is a personal endeavor to know and learn and become a transformational leader. So I want to build on that. I talked <laughs> earlier about the physiology and the habits. Mm-hmm. We are wired as a species for mm-hmm. safety, mm-hmm. for preservation. Be conscious. Be conscious of your biases. Mm. That's right. Be conscious of how your body reacts when you want to go away (laughs) that person said something i don't agree with and my response is i have to use the restroom Um, not right tell me more about how you got here right because i respect you and i respect your your perspective i may still disagree at the end of the conversation and i reserve that right but when my physiology is saying run 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 right i need to run interestingly our our personal lives can be a great place to to practice practice i totally agree that's right (laughs) When I say, tell me what you mean by that. And your kids are like, don't try that mumbo jumbo on me. (laughs) They catch it right away. Well, you've got to use their words. But I mean, even even in (laughs) your friendships, even in your associations, we have this great practice field called our lives, right? right, Where we can not only learn, but also test ourselves. Are we actually living those values? And can I learn, as you just pointed out, mm-hmm. a better behavior, a better response to something that I initially react to yeah. with you know, concern of some form, <laughs> right. right? And can I learn in that moment to take a break and yeah. embrace it? Thank you. So on that note, brilliant insights. Hopefully to our listeners, you've heard some very practical recommendations as well as an evaluation and exploration of some of the the, the bigger theories of what's going on behind our disruption at this point in history. We encourage you, try them out. <laughs> try focusing on diversity. Try being more inclusive. Try having a value statement on one page and wrapping your processes around it, irrespective of where you are in an organization or your family or your community, you can try many of these ideas and see what works for you. We are Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. You've been listening to Terry Bedinger and Greg Moran. This is Maureen Metcalf. We would love to hear your feedback. Info at InnovateLeader.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you very much, and we look forward to you joining us again in the future. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.